Wow. Wonderful. Come on in and find a spot. Well, the worship team is made up of J.B. Bonnerstow, Andrew Bonnerstow, Austin Bonnerstow, and uh, I think they just really knocked it out, brought me what I needed. So can you hear me? No? It's coming through. You can't hear it. Do you appreciate the worship team serving you tonight? people who wanted to be here who couldn't make it, probably about 10 members that can't make it this weekend, but some came uh, great distances, and I, I just want to honor them. Vinny's here. He's a missionary to Costa Rica. I didn't mention Costa Rica earlier, but we love you. And he came a long way just to be here for this conference. He's an Ohio boy, part of the well, and, and is doing good, doing good for the Lord. Uh, Pastor Darling he is, he is from Honduras. Just a sweet, sweet man. I met him in Costa Rica last, last year, but also others have gone down to where he is in Honduras. Thank you, brother, for coming and leaving your family and being here with us. Paul and Johnny have came in yesterday from Portugal, and that, that's a long way. They... Israel's here from Chile, but I don't see him right here. He, maybe tomorrow. But... Um, Anyway, I think you guys get the pencil for coming the furthest, and so, yeah. Just want to acknowledge also that uh, John and Laura Ebel are here. They're friends of ours from many, many years, and they have a sister network uh, going along, along the Great Lakes, and, and uh, we're so glad you're here, so glad you came, and they just miss you and wanted to get in on this, and, and I love that. I'm grateful for that. Elton and Nancy are here. Yeah. And they've been with us through thick and thin. And, and uh, I came home from a trip and, and felt back in, back in the 1990s, early 1990s, that we were to start a network. It took a while for that vision to come about, but 2001, we launched it. And... and uh, so many things that they're a part of that we could never have gotten off the ground without their wisdom and support and prayers. They pray for this gathering. They pray for our network and, and uh, their pillars and wonderful for me, wonderful friends. Thank you for coming all the way down and being with us. And we're glad you're here. John Finocchio, um, he and Jan were working up in Ottawa. A couple of our pastors happened to catch them and said, we just met some people that you need to meet. You're going to love them. And uh, they invited them down. If I remember, it was like a snowstorm in February in Lowville. And they came down, and, and uh, we did connect. And, and the same spirit, same heart, same, same everything. And we just right away just knew we found life partners. And it has been a lifetime, it seems like. And, John, thank you for coming down so many times to be with us. And, and uh, I just love what you what you bring your heart for us, and you've impacted a lot of people in this room. And so, and Tiffany, Tiffany came down as a five or six year old little girl, and um, it's amazing to see what God has done, the woman of God you are. And she, she's now got her own children, and, and uh, mom, worship leader, and prophetic, and 
Isn't it a sweet, sweet thing to see that John can travel with his daughter and come down and drive five and a half hours or more to get down here just to be able to minister together? I just think that's one of the best pictures. I love that. I'm just so grateful. Thank you for coming. John, come on up, brother, and uh, just turn it over to you, and you just follow your heart. Well, it's uh, it's a privilege to be here, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> okay, I'll get it a little higher. Um, you know, Penn and I go back a century. Uh, we met uh, in the twentieth century. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it's just a joy to be with you. It's always it's always a joy when I hear from Penn and. And he invites me to come and do something, and we've had him up our way, and it's been a great blessing to us as well. And um, and uh, it goes back to Lowville, and I was pulling into the parking lot tonight, and uh, I haven't seen um, Elton and Nancy for, oh, I don't know, it's been a long, long time. But I immediately recognized them, and uh, it's great to see them again. And uh, just to know that uh, you're still with us and you're still doing great things for the kingdom of God, bearing fruit. Amen? Okay. Okay. Is that better? Great. I'll keep it up there. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, and it's always uh, an honor to come and, and share, and we've been able to do that so many times. And, and this time to bring my daughter who's been traveling with me more and more, uh, you know, just depending on what it is, but almost anything that's prophetic, I kind of bring her along, and she's she's uh, batting it out of the park. So I just feel like it's it's great to be able to do that. And, uh, yeah, she's uh, she's got a couple children, our first grandchildren, and uh, we're totally smitten. <laughs> two, two little girls. Uh, Frankie and Georgie, and uh, we just love them to bits, and Jan has <clears throat> been with them uh, today, kind of caring for them while mom's away, and uh, that's great. I really enjoyed worshiping with you tonight. Just, I love to be anywhere worshiping, but uh, this was very nice. I really enjoyed this. So I understand that tonight, everybody here is kind of, or mostly everybody here is part of the network. And so you're involved in ministry, whether it's pastoring or missionary or, or your leaders in your churches and so on. So I want to share, you know, it's always a, a question of what to share that will be helpful. But a lot of what we do is driven by vision, isn't it? And uh, vision and calling, you know, our vision stems out of our calling. At least that's the way I like to look at it. I, I feel like our calling comes first and... And, uh, and then out of that calling, God begins to develop vision for things in our spirit and our heart. And uh, when we minister in local churches, uh, sometimes there can be com competing vision. And the, the word I want to share with you tonight is really talking about discerning where your part fits in the whole. And so um, we, we understand that there's uh, a number, you know, in the body of Christ, there's Tremendous variety of giftings and callings and people who have 
uh, calls to do a variety of different types of things. The question is, like our body, even though we have so many different parts, how does it all flow together? And how do we make it work knowing that when we use that analogy of the body, we understand that, you know, my fingers don't really have a lot of choice. <laughs> but we, when we're dealing with people, people have choices. And they can sometimes flow with the program or they can flow against it, and sometimes even knowingly. And that can be distressing. But tonight I want to go to a scripture in, uh, in Nehemiah. Actually, I'm not even going to share it with you. It's, I'll just, you just have to take my word for it. It's there. Okay? <laughs> and it identifies ten different gates that were around Jerusalem as they were uh, in a time of restoration, and they were restoring the gates. And, you know, gates are very important biblically. They represent entry points. They represent uh, places where uh, commerce took place. They also represent uh, where the elders uh, stood in the gates and they, they uh, conferred and there was wisdom and there was elders who stood there as gatekeepers. And, and in, in a New Testament sense, uh, eldership are gatekeepers that kind of watch and decide what comes in and what doesn't come in. And, uh, and it's very important. Gatekeeping is extremely important. So uh, we also see in, in the New Testament where Jesus uh, entered a certain gate uh, and healed a man there at the, at the gate, beautiful, and, uh, and, and, and other gates that rep were represented there in the New Testament. Every place where we serve in the local church is significant, or if you're on a mission field, whatever it is you're doing, uh, what you're doing is significant, and you represent a gate. You represent a certain gate. And so tonight I want to kind of uh, assign some meanings to some of the gates that are named. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, defined as... These definitions are not assigned necessarily biblically. I'm defining them. I'm just finding meanings. You could, find, you could go through these same gates and find different meetings, but I'm going to assign some just for the purpose of application tonight. Does that make sense? Thank you. So the first one is the fountain gate. And uh, the fountain gate, I believe, is kind of like a worship ministry, like this brother and his team tonight. It's kind of that place that, that wells spring out of. Uh, Jesus said that as believers, we would, you know, those who believe in him would have a, a well springing up in us to everlasting life. And I kind of believe that worship is one of those, you know, you, you're, the, the name of this fellowship here is Wellspring. And you know, there's something about a well that is springing and releasing uh, everlasting life and eternal life, but it also speaks of that living water. And, and part of the worship team uh, or the ministry, whole ministry of worship is to make sure that there's fresh water flowing, that when people come in, there's something refreshing about God's presence. There's something that's kind of washing over people. People who come in, maybe they've been buffeted all week. Maybe they've been struggling. Maybe they've been, you know, just fighting some kind of a battle. Maybe they've been under some kind of attack. But when they come into God's presence, if the worship team is doing their job, that there's a fountain gate. There's a fountain that's flowing, and people can come in and get refreshed in God's presence and as they sing and connect with Him. And then 
the next gate was the sheep gate. And obviously a sheep gate is, speaks of, of pastoral type things where it might be children's pastors, it might be youth pastors, it might be young adult pastors, it may be uh, associate pastors or lead pastors, whatever term you use, eldership. But it's caring for sheep. It's the whole gate where uh, people who stand in that gate, they're, they're wired to care for sheep. Their whole thing is about sheep. They want to love on people and care for people and make sure that people are loved on and that they're, and God's people are attended to. And that's their gate. That's, that's their gate. And so their vision kind of comes out of that gate. The fountain gate, people have a vision for that. The sheep gate have a vision for that. Then there's the fish gate. And that, to me, is kind of obvious. It speaks of people who have a, a heart to reach people, a heart to win people, a heart to reach, you know, to do the fishing, to cast the net. You know, some people might be, you might be a single line fisherman. You know, you just kind of get a worm on the end of the line and cast, and other people might use nets, depending on how you're wired and how you're, what your vision is and what your capacity and capability is. But that fish gate is very important because we all know that we, we want to see the lost one. Amen. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ and experience that power of his life and connect with that. And then there's the valley gate. Valley gate to me are people who have vision for the downcast, the downtrodden, the poor, the disenfranchised in culture and in society, the people who are marginalized that other people walk by and don't even pay attention to. But these people have a vision. When they walk by someone who's hurting or wounded, they feel their pain. They want somehow to reach out to them. They want somehow to minister to them. Maybe they have been themselves uh, valley dwellers in, in life, and God has, has lifted them and out of that, but now they carry a heart for people who, who have experienced the same type of thing that they experienced. And so they have a vision for that. They have a vision to... To, they might be social justice warriors or whatever you want to call them, but they have a, a heart to reach people and they, they'll do community food banks and all those kinds of things to reach and care for people. And then there's the horse gate. And the horses speak of strength. They, they, they speak of load-bearing. They're, they're, they're uh, animals that uh, carry a lot of load. And there's always people. I, I kind of look at deacons as, as horse gate people. They carry a load. They're always serving. They're always uh, involved with carrying loads and carrying people and ministering and, and just, you know, uh, understanding that there's a lot to do uh, in every church and that th they're just there kind of saying, how can I help? And they're horse gate people and have a vision for that. They're, they're wired by that. And then there's the old gate. Uh, the old gate is, refers to the people who just wish it, uh, things were the way they used to be. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing because it is a joke. <laughs> now the old, <laughs> the old gate are those of us who wish we'd go back to the '70s. You know, <laughs> wear bands around our head. And someone asked me if I'd ever been down at the Finger Lakes, and I said, "Yeah, I was down here. I was down here at a place called Watkins Glen. A long time ago." <laughs> Anybody hear about that story? Watkins Glen, does that spell any? Yeah, okay. There's someone who's, who's a boomer who remembers. Were you there? Yeah, yeah. That was a nightmare. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> thankfully it's not one I'm reliving. But, uh, but the old gate speaks really of those who teach 
and instruct in the, the tried and proven ways of the Lord. And, and they bring the church back to the ancient paths. And they teach. Uh, even, you know, in, a, in today's context, they're still uh, bringing the word of God so that people understand those, those ancient paths and those uh, ancient boundaries that you don't remove, that should never be removed foundational truths. And so the old gate is there because, yeah, it's old, but it's extremely important. Somebody say amen. amen. And then there's the east gate. It's the only gate that is directional uh, out, of, out of all these gates. The east gate, to me, is the prophetic gate. It's the place where people have a, you know, who carry that prophetic sense and that prophetic unction and that prophetic insight. And um, it speaks of direction. It's the only one that speaks of direction. And to me, uh, every church needs something prophetic. It doesn't necessarily have to have a uh, resident prophet, but it has to have that prophetic sense in which there's something directional that's always kind of being released in people and, and uh, over the ministries and, over, and in leadership. And it's that whole thing that representing the guiding and direction, the kind of spiritual GPS of the church. It's the East Gate. It's directional. And then there's the refuse gate. And to me, the refuse gate is, uh, speaks of prayer and intercession, the function of those who really pray through things, particularly sometimes things that need to be flushed out. How many know that every house has two kinds of plumbing? You know, you've got plumbing that you, you shower in and wash your hands in and you do laundry in, and, and, and we all enjoy that. But there's another kind of plumbing in the house. And I, I'm sure that we've probably all experienced one time or another a backup of that plumbing that takes things out. And it gets backed up. And, you know, it can... One time this happened in our church. We had a flood that, that winter. It was, I think it was about the second year that we were there. And I don't think... It was one of those strange winters in Ontario that we did not get snow. But it rained and rained and rained. And finally it just... Our sewer in the church backed up, and and we had it was on a sunny morning out of all Sundays, and very just like graciously a man from town showed up and he he worked for the town he saw what was going on and the stench you know it was it, our sewer was our our the sewer that flushes everything out was right beside our auditorium. and so it was flooded it, you could walk in it and it was just a mess. And it, it stank, and and uh, he came in. He got there early, and and you know he he spent his entire morning cleaning that up, uh, even while we were doing church, and he just shut that door, and and uh, we got everything that could release scent, <laughs> you know, to cover what that was, and we had church, but but spiritually speaking, you know, things can get backed up in a church too, and. There has to be those who will pray into those things and, and really take them before the Lord and kind of do intercession so that, you know, sometimes you can have a spiritually constipated church. And you can't get rid of some of the stuff that needs to, to get, you know, that needs to, you need to move beyond and you need to flush out and get it out of the system of the church. And so uh, the refuse gate is very important because... Uh, Every church needs, there's, there's stuff that we need to embrace, but there's also stuff that we need to kind of move, move beyond and, and get cleared out of our system. 
Um, there's the, then there's the Watergate, and it has nothing to do with Richard Nixon. Uh, but Watergate, it's not a conspiracy, uh, but it's the washing of the water of the Word. It's those who carry that vision to minister the Word of God and to bring the Word of God to people and, and who are always preparing something that will cause a cleansing and a purification of the church. Just every time we share the Word, I think there's something when we adhere to it, when we receive it, you know, we're being cleansed. Jesus said, you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. And it wasn't just because he spoke the word, because he spoke the word to a lot of people, but it's because they received his word. When we receive the word, that there's that cleansing uh, that happens within our heart. And then finally, there's the inspection gate. And these are all gates that you'll find in Scripture. And uh, the inspection gate, to me, speaks of uh, pastors, elders, who... Uh, really bear the final responsibility to inspect everything else. Uh, the difference between them and every other gate is that every other gate carries vision for that one gate. So, you know, as a worship leader, you have vision for your gate. You know, there's things that are in your heart and God is putting in your heart for worship. And, and if you're a mission person. You, you, have, you have vision for, for a field, a, a, a nation, a city, a place that you want to reach. Uh, you know, every other gate has some, you carry vision for it, but, but the inspection gate are those people who have to have vision for every gate. They can't afford just to get stuck on one gate. They, they have to inspect every gate, and they have to make sure that all the other gates line up with the overall vision the overall values, and, and the direction that the house is flowing in. There's nothing worse than getting someone who is gifted, they're talented, they seem to love the Lord, but they just don't want to take any direction from leadership. How many know that is a sour note? That will always create problems. That always creates issues. And so uh, the inspection gate is really important because they have to inspect, make sure that everything else fits, that everything else is 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 kind of harmonizing. And someone once said that delegation without examination is relegation. So as leaders, we don't relegate, we delegate. So on my team, I try to help people understand that, look, I'm not interested in micromanaging you. I really am not. But I do have to inspect everything. It's, you kind of come through the inspection gate. And sometimes people have, we've had, we had, we have this one young lady in our church who was raised in our church. When I got there, she, her family was already in the church, um, in the church that, that I now pastor. When I came, there was about 30 people, and she was one of the families, uh, actually a Mennonite background. Her, her parents were horse and buggy uh, until about six or seven years before I got there. And so they were raised in that, and, um, and then, you know, they, they, started attending our church and, and bought themselves a car. And um, a lot of changes came. But this one young lady, she was raised in our church, and she has got more vision. Like, she's just, she's, she's just got vision. It just pours out of her. And she's really a delightful girl. But at first, when she began to get vision and ideas, she didn't understand that everything that she got vision for had to kind of go through the meat grinder of our leadership. That, it, you know, it's, it's like a raw 
material that she had, and she would present to us, and she'd get so excited about it, and she had this great vision, and it was awesome. We were like, wow, that's awesome. But then we had to take it and sit down in a meeting, and we had to put it through the meat grinder, and it comes out processed, right? It looks one way before it goes in, comes out, and sometimes some of it gets, you know, it doesn't all get through the grinder, right? And so that was a hard for her. She felt like we were, it was rejection or whatever, and so we just had to kind of educate her, love on her, and just say, honey, you're doing the great thing, and God's giving you great vision, and we embrace the vision that you have for that area. But you need to understand that everything goes through the inspection gate. And everything goes through the meat grinder of leadership so that we can make sure. Because you're thinking only about your gate. But the vision you have is going to affect other gates too. And we have to make sure that it all fits together. Does that make sense? So tonight, um, I, I just want to talk a little bit about how those gates can be competing interests in a local church. There can be competing visions. And, uh, you know, in Jerusalem, when you think of all the gates, if you, if you look at the city, if you had a 10,000-foot level, you're looking down at the city of Jerusalem, and there's these 10 gates. And out of their gate, every one of them viewed a different horizon. So out of the refuse gate, you see, you see a completely different horizon than the horse gate, the sheep gate, the fish gate, the fountain gate, the water gate. Every, every one of them had a different horizon. So they look out, they see something different. And, uh, you know, sometimes in local churches, we have a hard time appreciating that other people see something different than what we see. The difference between one gate vision, it's the difference. That's, that's the thing that we have to have clarity on, is the difference between one gate vision and all gate vision. One gate vision all-gate vision. Why don't you say that with me? One-gate vision, all-gate vision. So many of you tonight represent one gate. You have one gate that you, you're passionate about, you have vision for, you have desire for, but then there are others among us who have all-gate vision, and they have to make it all work. And sometimes that will, that will adjust your vision or things that you want to implement and do in order that it stays together in the context of the greater vision. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that, uh, that deals with how those different levels of vision can flow together. And it's taken out of Numbers chapter 32, and I'm going to read a fair amount of this Scripture tonight, not to put you to sleep, but to get the context, because it's a very, very interesting story. So Numbers chapter 32, verse 1 says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adarath, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Hashbon. Now these are all names of cities that were in that area. Uh, Hashbon, Eliea, Shabam. There it is, folks. It's in the Bible. Shabam. I imagine every time people drove by that city, went, Shabam. Shabam. Sounds better like that. Kind of an American accent. Shabam. Shabam. I like that. I'm having a hard time getting off of that one. Um, 
Shabam and Nebo and beyond, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Wow. Now, I kind of picture in my mind that they were kind of halfway through their presentation of Moses. But Moses heard one thing. He just heard one thing. Do not take us over the Jordan. And bam, like it's just like he went postal. It's just like one massive great big red light went off because he heard those words before somewhere. And he remembered what happened. And so before they even finished, like it's just like almost, do not take us over Jordan. And they're ready to say more. And Moses said to the children of Gad and Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came from Egypt from 20 years old above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed the Lord, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation had done evil, and the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce uh, anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. So, you know, that's it. Moses just, bam, he lays it down. He comes on thick. I imagine he is uh, yelling at them at this point. He is like, you know, what are you guys thinking? Are you out of your mind? This is not happening. Forget it. But he's the gatekeeper. Strangely enough, it says, then they came near to him. So they even came closer. They got up in his face. And... uh, And he said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. I want you to notice that. Until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. Another power statement right there. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, kind of lowers his voice a little bit. Here's their proposal. And he says, then... If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven them out, his enemies from before them, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. 
Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep. And do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben said to Moses, uh, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, our, our uh, livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses decided he was going to take himself a little extra insurance. And he, it says, uh, so Moses gave command con- concerning them to Eliezer the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel and said, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. In other words, you're not going to allow them to stay here. You're going you're gonna to make them go over with you. And then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered and said, as the Lord uh, has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed uh, before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain on this side. So, you know, we see these, these two tribes who uh, they're gifting, they're, they're, uh, where they are rich, where they are strong, where they have purpose is on, where they see their vision is on the other side before you cross over that they wanted that land. They saw the, how attractive it was for their per- particular purposes, their particular vision as tribes. And so they, they came up with this creative alternative that, hey, we'll go over, but we want to, our vision is here. But what we, what we will do is we will make sure that all of Israel comes into their inheritance before we come into ours. And so they carried, they were, they were compelled to carry the entire vision, the larger vision, the bigger picture. And so I guess really what I'm trying to say tonight is just simply that, you know, the vision, every vision we carry has to fit within the context of the greater vision. We, we cannot afford... To, to kind of pursue our, be selfish and pursue our vision. You know, I have a vision. God, God, I'm gifted. This is my gift. This is my call. And so I'm going to do this. Without kind of making sure that we're harmonizing with the greater picture. And there's a lot of people who do that. I've seen over the years where people, they kind of, you know, they decide that, they're going to have, you know, they're going to fulfill their gift. They're going to fulfill their dream. They're going to um, make full proof of their calling. And they don't, they're not necessarily really thinking about the church or the context of the body of Christ. They're just thinking about their satisfaction and their gifting and what they want to do. And they're going to go do it. And uh, it doesn't matter what anybody says. And I think that they're really missing something that is essential to the body of Christ that's essential to understanding that there's a much bigger context here. There's something far greater that God wants to do. So our vision has to fit within the greater vision. And also, we have to fulfill our responsibility to the rest of the body. We actually have a responsibility. It's not enough that I come into my calling or that my vision or my gate is prospering while someone else's gate is faltering. 
Um, and, and, and I've seen this sometimes where people have success in their area and then they look at someone else in the same church who may not be having the success that they are and they're thinking, well, you know, if they, you know, they got to get with it or there's, you know, hey, as long as my area is prospering, I'm happy. That will not win. That is not a win. That is not going to accomplish the vision. But the spirit that says, well, you know what? My area is doing well. How can I help you? Even if it's just praying for that person and saying, you know what? They're having a, a, a big challenge over there. They're having a hard time. I remember talking with one pastor who told me that um, in their budget, uh, there was, there was one, one gate who was facing some challenges and needed funds. That were, that the budget was already allocated, but in the middle of the year, they ran into some challenges, and that, that, that area needed some funds. And some another gate, another department in the budget came over to them and said, you know what, we, we, we actually can hold off for next year. We want to give the rest of this year's budget to you. And you go, I just went like, wow, they get it. You know, they get it. They just like, they understand that unless everybody's winning, we're not winning. You know, your worship team may be doing awesome, but the children's ministry is struggling. Well, guess what? Then there's an imbalance there and not, you know, not everybody's winning. We only win when we all win together. We only win when every gate is prospering. We only win when we understand that we need to, we need to, fight for, to bring other people into their inheritance as well. That, that what an unselfish thing it is, what a Christ-like thing it is to say, well, yeah, I've come into ministry, but, and I've come into the fulfillment of my calling, but my brothers and my sisters, they haven't. How can I help develop them? How can I help them? How can I minister to them? How can I, you know, how can I do something that will further and advance their cause? Now, all ministry is built on two foundational cornerstones. All ministry built on one or, or both of these two cornerstones. The, the first is the glory of God. All ministry is built on the glory of God, that, that what we do and the, the motivation for it should be the glory of God, that we want to bring glory to God, that we understand that we are here to bring Him glory, right? And then the second one is the benefit of God's people. Those two cornerstones are the cornerstones of all ministry, that I want to glorify Jesus and I want the people of God to benefit from what I'm doing. It's not me benefiting. It's not about me. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my profile. It's not about, uh, you know, receiving accolades or anything else. It's, it's, God, I want you to be glorified and I want your people to be edified. I want your people to be benefited from what I do. And, and if that is happening... I'm successful if I can glorify God and if I can strengthen people because they're his people. He's purchased them with his blood and he wants them to prosper. He wants them to come into. So if I've come into something uh, but others haven't, then I need to find a way to help them. And if I can do that, I will be far more effective in everything that I do. 
Personal satisfaction is not a good ministry goal. Personal satisfaction is a better byproduct than it is a goal. I mean, you can, you can have it. it may, you may derive it at certain times in ministry, but I can't imagine the Apostle Paul, you know, after everything he wrote in 2 Corinthians, someone doing an interview with him. And we have the Apostle Paul here with us today. Uh, Paul, would you just tell us about your personal satisfaction? And by the way, he's written a wonderful first uh, million-seller book called 2 Corinthians. And I just want to plug that for you, Paul. But Paul, tell us about your personal satisfaction. You know, all about those times you got stoned and shipwrecked and beaten. And, you know, just tell us how, what personal satisfaction are you getting from all this? How many know that would be a short interview? Every, uh, every team has a Moses whose sphere of vision is, is greater than any one gate. And it's those inspection gate people that, you know, from time to time, they have to bring adjustment, they have to get up in our grill, they have to challenge us. Uh, they may, we may feel like they're limiting us, you know. Um, I, have, I have some young, uh, some great young leaders that I'm extremely thankful for uh, on my team. And, and sometimes they have tremendous energy and tremendous ambition and like in, in a good sense, uh, you know, to, to, to see things go forward. But from time to time, I just have to kind of slow them down and say, what, you're not seeing the peripheral here. You, you, you're really going for it in your area, in your department, but you've got to understand that there's a context here that's much greater than you. And maybe what, what would be really great is if you took some of your resources and some of your energy and went over and helped them build their team. I have one guy in particular who's just, he's probably the greatest team builder I have ever seen in my life out of any place I've been. And, and he's just a young man who is our youth pastor, and just in the last year, he came on staff as like just an associate pastor. And um, we started, I thought, okay, I'm willing to make this, this transition, but I want to I throw some things at him first while he's still a youth pastor to see what he'll do with that. And so what I did is I threw him a couple of teams, some other areas of the church, and said, well, these areas are struggling why don't you put your virtue into that right now and see? And it was not in his vision. It was not like, it wasn't in his wheelhouse. It wasn't like areas that he really, it was like one was hospitality and welcoming. So our whole welcome hospitality thing needed some energy and some focus and some new thinking. And then the other one for us has, has been the greatest struggle on the planet uh, w was our ushers. We just could never seem to get our ushers to lockstep uh, I, had a, I had a pastor, a staff pastor who was over that and for like nine years could not seem to make it work. And then all of a sudden this young man steps into it and within three months, within three months, both of those departments just seemed to take off. They just, they just, they, they all seemed rein, reinvigorated and they, they wanted to do it all of a sudden and, and we got these usher teams that are now operating well and I'm going, like, what did he do? 
And then I said, well, okay, um, you did that really well. You did a great job with that. Here's two more. And then I gave them the entire children's department and all the teams that were in there, all the different ages. And now they are flourishing and going better than they ever have. And so it's like just the more teams. I, but what I found, what I discovered in the course of a year is this guy has an incredible team building ministry. He's just wired for bringing people together and asking them, what do you want to do? In fact, some cases we had people who we, who, we, who we didn't want in those departments anymore. We just knew they were tired. We knew they were a lot of ideas. And, you know, it's tender to try to actually pull somebody out of an area where they've been serving and they feel like that's their area. And he just sat them down, had a conversation and said, how do you feel about what you're doing? And they go, yeah. Would you like to do something else? Yeah. What would you like to do? And then they start talking about what they want to do. He goes, how can I help you? Is that really what you want to do? How can I help you do that? And then he would just get behind them, get on their team kind of thing. And, and next thing you know, we had these people that we actually wanted to swap out. We're able to swap out without any tension, without any problem, and then put them in areas that they really wanted to serve now. And I thought, wow. Good thing I didn't get my fingers on that. They all would have left the church. But he had this great team building thing. But it was all about him saying, because he had vision for other areas. And I said, well, before you go ahead and run off and start doing that, I want you to fix these other teams. And if you'll put your virtue into that and help them be successful, then we'll talk about the next step. And so, I mean, you know, he just said, yeah, and, and did it. And it was, I was so honored and, and still am just, I'm kind of amazed that we have this guy, uh, you know, doing these things, helping other teams to get successful and helping other areas that really he doesn't carry any vision for, but he just knows how to work with them and minister to them and help encourage them and get behind them, get up on their team. So, We all have an inheritance. Let me just end with this thought. You know, we all have an inheritance. Everybody in this room tonight has an inheritance. And it's not just good enough that we come into our inheritance. We have to be looking around our church and realize that we all need to come into our inheritance together. And, and I'm willing to fight for you to come into your inheritance. Whatever you're lacking wherever you're weak, wherever you, you know, so whatever, whatever it is, whatever gate you're standing in tonight, uh, you may be here as a missionary or whatever you do, uh, whatever gate you're in, if you're having great success, that's awesome. But look around, pick up the greater context and say, how can I contribute to the whole? And how can I make my vision fit? You know, there, there, somebody once said that if there's more than one vision, there's division. But in fact, that's not true. You can have lots of vision in all these different gates as long as they're harmonized, as long as they're serving one another, and as long as they're all ready to fight for one another, not with one another. Don't misinterpret what I said. That they'll fight for one another, that they'll fight to bring them, other people and other leaders and other groups with other vision into their inheritance. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
Well, I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come back up for a minute. And uh, I don't know what time we were going to end here, uh, Penn. I'm not sure what time you had in mind for closing. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that we'll be that long. Okay, I have one right here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, Tiffany are here, and we're just we're just trusting God for whatever He might have for people uh, in a in a prophetic way. Um, I just want to. I always like to say this. You know, we are not infallible. And, you know, we, I, I kind of liken myself to a doctor. I'm practicing. So, so if you don't mind us practicing on you, I, I don't have any um, malpractice insurance. So, so please don't, don't litigate with me. Don't, don't take me to court. But um, we may pray for you. We may feel to pray with you, whatever. But, um, uh, like I say, we're just, you know, if you're just, if you're, I, I, I assume you're probably open to this, but I'm just saying that, you know, we're just practicing. We'll just come around and pray for you as we feel led. And, um, and then uh, if, if it doesn't seem to fit, we have enough humility to admit that we've missed it. And it, ha- it has happened. I think one time, well, 35 years ago, I met, no. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Let's just worship the Lord. Tiff, I'm going to ask you to come.
Hi, Cindy. That's not a word of knowledge. I'm just reading it right out of here. <clears throat> you know, Cindy, I, I see you walking with the wounded. And I see you pouring... Uh, words of love and grace and mercy into wounded hearts, wounded lives, and wounded people. And I see where there's been uh, a great deal of healing and ministry that the Spirit of God has brought into your own heart and into your own life. And I feel like <clears throat> there's been things that would have prevented you from becoming the woman of God that you are today. But it's, it's like God put a resilience and a determination in your heart that you would not be denied. And it's like your inheritance. It's like you said, I, I see it out there. I see another life, I see another plan, I see another way, I see a fruitful field, and I am going to own that field. I'm going after it. And it's like God put a drive within you, a desire in you to fight through, to work through, to push through, to press through. And it's, it's like today there has been such a marked transformation and change within your spirit, within your heart. But now the Lord has called you uh, and anointed you to walk with wounded and to minister healing. I see healing not only uh, in a sense of spiritual uh, uh, healing, but I see even physical healing 
that God is going to release through your hands. And it's like there's going to come a stirring. You know, when David went against uh, the Amalekites, the Lord told him, gave him a strategy and said, wait till you hear the sound of a stirring in the mulberry trees. And when you hear the stirring, go out against them because I've already discomfited them. I've already uh, kind of defeated them. And it's like you're just going to do the mop up. Uh, and I, I feel like God's going to stir you in your spirit, in your heart, and you're going to know when it is to even minister to people. Go and lay hands on them and believe God for impartation, for healing impartation, physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, psychological healing. You know, there, there, there's people who need sometimes a word of counsel and a word of help, and they need a process, but... I want to tell you that God still does miraculously touch people. And I believe that God wants to lift your sights and your vision to see people being miraculously touched because God wants to use you that way. Just see that. And, and uh, th there's like a power that is going to flow, a, the power of the Spirit of God flowing through you to touch. I see you as a mender and a helper. See you as one who gets under people and has a desire to lift them. Because Jesus said, I'm the glory and the lifter up of your head. And now your head is lifted up above and around your enemies. And uh, I just see lifting. I see you lifting people and, and taking people who are, who are the, the uh, you know, the, the living in the lowlands of life. And... And, and coming alongside of them and speaking words of life to them, speaking words of counsel, words of help, words of hope, words of life, and just really coming alongside to help them and experience the lift that's in Jesus Christ. God's equipped you for this. And he's made you, he's blessed you in order to make you a blessing. There were some things that are in your heart to do and it's like you have been like Gideon in a way, putting a fleece before the Lord. God, are you sure? Is this right? Uh, it's like you, you, are, you keep asking and testing the Lord to make sure, Lord, is this really from you? Is this really of you? And the Lord wants to come tonight to confirm that which he has placed in your heart. It is from him. The things that are in your heart to do, I just see uh, there's a course of action that needs to take place. And you've been asking the Lord and inquiring, is this the course of action? Is this what, what I should be doing? And the Lord would come to confirm you tonight, yes. My hand is upon you, and as you go forth, I am with you. My spirit is upon you, O oh daughter, and, and you do that thing that I have placed in your heart to do, says the Lord. I see great joy. I see great joy. It's, it's going to hit you. I just see great joy, and I, I see everything that you're going to do and operate in, you operate best in joy. Yes. You know, it's just the joy of the Lord is your strength, and, and you're going to serve the Lord with gladness, and that is going to be a great attraction, the joy that's on, that God's going to put on your spirit 
enjoy. I, I believe it's already there, but, but, but God wants to encourage you to operate in that joy. Walk in that joy. And as you walk in joy and exude that joy, it's really going to bring attraction to people that you wouldn't think would be uh, coming to you. But I believe that's exactly what's going to happen. Amen. Amen. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Amen. Good. You received that? Good. Awesome. Um, gentlemen, Paolo, uh, where are you from? Portugal. Portugal. Awesome. Um, I don't know if this means come on anything to you. <laughs> But when I kind of saw you, just, yeah, come on forward. My, my line only goes so far. Um, but when I saw you, I saw pigs. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I saw like, um, like a pen full of pigs. And I guess the thing that came to my mind was that you're going to be living off the fat. And uh, I, I believe that the Lord wants to show you tonight that he wants to make what you're doing successful. He wants to make you a success. And, uh, and the Lord wants to bring uh, a, a, a prosperity. Sometimes we can shy away from that word for fear of, you know, prosperity gospel. But that, this, is not the, this is not the case. God wants to make the work of your hands successful. But it's going to bring prosperity to the people that, that you affect. The people that you touch. The people that you are, you are in that nation to serve are going to, to eat off the fat of the land with you. Because the Lord is going to touch the work of your hands. And he is going to bring success and prosperity that, that, you know, everywhere the gospel touches, it brings stability, both economically and in, in the lives of people, uh, just in their foundation and in, into who they are. Because we believe that the gospel brings a wholeness to people's lives. It causes their minds, their hearts, their spirits to be made whole. And so it brings prosperity to families, not just a, 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 a materialism or materialistically, but it brings the prosperity of, of, of heaven. It brings heaven's economy because people can dine at the table of the Lord where they can get anything that they need. And God is going to bring through your life a great prosperity and enrichment that is you are going to be able to pour into the people that that uh, that God is bringing to you and to your ministry. You're going to bring uh, a, a deep, um, uh, just uh, an enriched word. You're going to bring a, a deep seed. You're going to bring a, a prosperity. I just I can't get away from that word. God is going to make you successful that he might bless a people through your life. In Jesus' name. You know, uh, I, first of all, I just I, I want to confirm that I really feel there's a strong ministry calling on your life. But beyond that, I, I see a real stretching coming to you. It's, you know, God sovereignly works in all of our lives to prepare us for the work that he's called us to and the things that he's called us to. But I, I see God putting a stretch on you 
And it's, I, I feel like there's a season coming that you're going to feel so stretched that at times you're just going to feel like, God, I, I, I'm as stretched as far as I can get. And I don't, I, I can't, I can't feel, I can't, I feel like I'm an elastic band that is ready to break. But you need to understand that God, in every season, God is doing something that causes us to be more dependent upon Him. That in every season, God is teaching us greater intimacy. He's teaching us to how to lean into Him and how to get our strength from Him because every succeeding season is another season in which we're learning something, but yet we're also uh, expending the, the virtue of, that we gained in the former season. It's like one season prepares us for another season. And right now, it's like God is, is preparing you for a stretching season. It's almost like I feel like the Lord is kind of alerting you to it so that when it happens, you won't misunderstand it. You won't feel like it's the devil's attack on your life. But you'll know that Father is, is working deep in the interior and in the recesses of your heart to enlarge you. A stretch is an enlargement. And there's an enlargement of your tent pegs that is coming that you're going to stretch forth the curtains of your habitation and you're going to there's there's a reaching out to the left and to the right and it's going to stretch you it's going to enlarge even the metron that you've been operating in you've been operating in a certain level of of sphere but God is going to enlarge it and and there's an enlargement that's coming to you it's coming to your spirit it's coming to your heart Amen. because there's greater things ahead that God is calling Amen. you to. There's a there's a ministry that God is birthing and releasing in you. And and it's like the, the Spirit of the Lord says, Son, get ready for it. Get ready for it. Understand that there's greater things ahead. Not in the sense of you know, great things to, uh, that uh, for yourself aggrandizement, but greater things in the scope and the sphere and the sense of God's work and the fruitfulness of it. Amen. And I witness with this word, it's a prosperity of soul and a prosperity of those things that you set your hands to that suddenly you're going to see that there's greater effectiveness and fruitfulness than even what your, your own heart and your mind was able to conceive. These are times of trusting that God knows what he's doing. Just times of really trusting under the shadow of his wings. There's a people that are going to be joined to you. There's a people that your heart is going to be enlarged to embrace. The Lord's going to add to you. your last name is Afonte. Is that right? Oh, it's the name of the church. Okay, so it's not too, it's not Paulo Afonte and Johnny Afonte. Okay. Okay, just, I just wanted to get that straight. The fountain in Portuguese. Awesome. 
Okay, well, I'm going to go for it anyway. I have no idea what, what, what you do, Johnny, but I, I see artistic stuff all over you. And uh, I just see artistic. I, I feel like I hear some music coming out of, out of your spirit, too. And, and uh, you know, God, God knows what he's doing. He's been God for a long time. So I just feel to exhort you tonight not to question the dealings of God. Don't question the direction of God. Not in the sense that, you know, God is so relational. And, and it's not that if we have questions that he's offended by it. In fact, he loves when we come and ask questions. But not in the sense of questioning his ways. And so I feel like there's been some question marks in your heart and in your mind, some things that you've been wondering about. And I feel like it's just uh, God wants to settle some things in your spirit and in your heart. And I, I feel like God wants to settle your placement. He wants to settle your placement. He wants you to, he wants you to feel like he, he's firmly tucked you in and settled you and that you know where he's settled you, with whom he's settled you, and it's like you're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And so the Spirit of the Lord is, I just sense a fresh, just a whole fresh wind of God coming into your spirit creatively and into your heart. I see that um, God is going to use the creativeness that you have and, it's, and I just see him blowing on it, and it's going to bring advancement to your life. It's not just going to bring advancement to the kingdom, but, but God's going to use it to bring advancement to your life. There's things in you, there's dreams in you, there's aspirations in you that, that, God, that, that you've wondered about. You've said, Lord, you know, I, it's almost like you've been afraid to step out into it because you've wondered if it's God. And I feel like the Lord is confirming you tonight to say, I put dreams in your heart. I put vision in your heart, and I put things within you that are able to bring um, blessing even to your own household and into your life, and, and uh, don't be afraid to step out in those things. Uh, God's, God's gifted you this way. He's anointed you this way. You're a blessing to the house of the Lord, but you're going to use the creativity and the talent that God has put within you to create things that will be a blessing uh, and, and provide for your own life and, and be a, 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 a way of life and a means of life. Does that make any sense to you? Because it doesn't to me. But anyway, go ahead. Um, do, you, do you have children? Okay. Because I... Cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, I, I saw you with kids. And... Uh, I felt like the Lord wanted to tell you that you're already a good dad. Like you're you're already there. And uh, you know, sometimes we can be harder on ourselves than even God is. You know what I mean? We can we can be more difficult on ourselves. And uh, and you know, God he's proud of you and he's made you a good dad already. You're a good guy. You're a good husband. You're faithful to the Lord. You're faithful to your wife. You're going to be a fantastic father. And I see your kids, if, you, if there will be more, um, just growing up. And you really, 
I saw you really knowing how to instruct your children, knowing how to instruct your children in the ways of the Lord, being faithful to make sure that they grow up in the house of God and that they hit the mark in their generation. Another thing I saw, uh, I saw you playing guitar, and I don't know if you play guitar, but I saw you writing songs. And uh, I just saw you kind of alone in, in, a, in a place where you were just, you know, worshiping God. It was like David was in his father's backfield. He was alone. He was secluded. He was just on his own worshiping God. And he was getting these downloads. And I saw how it, it was in the secret place that, that it's not going to be in like some, you know, it's not going to happen like in a grand type of setting, but it's going to be in the secret place that in your personal time with the Lord, you're going to get revelation from God. You're going you're gonna to hear the, the music of heaven, and it's going to come into your spirit, and you'll be able to share it. It will, it will bless people, but it's going to come in those secret times where you're just alone with God. That's all I have for you. <clears throat> and I, I, I just feel to add to that that, you know, Johnny, the, the days are going to come when th there's there's a deposit of wisdom that has been uh, formulated over, over time. There's a, a word of wisdom and, a, and an application of wisdom that is going to be in you. That Because the Lord says, son, I want to put you in the gates. I want to I put you in the gates. Even as you've heard tonight, that the elders stand in the gates and they contend with the enemy there. And they... And they, they, they render justice and I want to sit you in the gates I have a place of honor for you and the Lord says son I'm going to put honor on you and I'm going to develop you and I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to cause uh, a grace to come on your life and a, and a wisdom to come into your heart and as the years go by uh, there's going to be an accumulated wisdom and, and you're going to find yourself being able to give wisdom and speak wisdom into hearts and speak wisdom into lives and speak wisdom into situations. And there's even times where the prophetic and, and the word of wisdom is going to come into your heart and spirit. It's like people are puzzled about situations and circumstances and you're going to be able to speak into it because God has downloaded that wisdom, that word of wisdom that applies to that situation that will unlock situations and circumstances that people that have people puzzled and wondering about and I'm going to make you a man of wisdom Amen and I love that name Johnny In Portugal, when Johnny was just a little boy and parking beside me, and I would draw squiggles and turn them into cartoons, and he loved that. So he's a professional cartoonist and artist, and, and on a major scale, and also musician and drummer and guitarist, and and a new dad, which we didn't know about. So that's wonderful. That's I love that. Wow, wonderful. Wow, wow. Well, we want to release you, but um, Terry, can we gather around you and pray for you? He's, he's got some health issues that are happening, and he's going to be going, getting an operation here before long. John and Laura, we want to gather around you and pray for you as well. Do you mind if we do that? And uh, you can stay right where you are if you like, or you can come up here where we can make some space. Can we do, pray for you? 
He's a dear, dear friend of mine, a tremendous brother, and uh, he's just going through some stuff with his heart that are a little different, and uh, I'd like him to get ministered to. If you want to get in on this, John, that'd be wonderful. Who's got hot hands, hot heart for healing? I'd like you to come up and, and gather in and pray for him. And like John and Laura, if you'd gather around them, pray, prophesy, bless them, uh, pray for every, anything that comes to your heart. Can we gather around them right now? Do you mind doing that? In fact, I want you to gather around Nancy and Nelton as well and bless them. Those who'd like to join me in praying for, for healing and for wholeness, for whatever God has, would strengthen his heart. Can you gather around Nelton and Nancy as well? And then we'll be free to go here in just a few minutes, okay?